Uh, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling uh, Feasting and Fasting, or Fasting and Feasting. And what we're looking through this series is we're uncovering what it is that we most long for. Uh, and we're asking God to satisfy our hunger and fill our emptiness. Now, throughout Scripture, God uses food, or the lack thereof, uh, to uncover our deepest longings and our hunger. And sometimes God uses food not just to satisfy our bellies, but to satisfy our spirits, to speak to us about what it is we need from Him. And so one of the reasons that we've been talking about the connection between our physical hunger and our spiritual hunger is because we're in this season called Lent, which typically, according to the uh, early church, they're sort of developed this tradition to fast from something during the 40 days that came before Easter. And so we sort of uh, have said since the beginning, we've reminded everybody, and I'll remind you again, that fasting from something during the season of Lent does not change your salvation status, right? You are not like earning points in heaven. You are not conjuring God to be more favorable to you than he is to other people. Instead, like God's presence doesn't change based on what we do in Lent, but our awareness of God's presence can and does change because of our participation in Lent. It's sort of like doing these spiritual exercises. And I've compared it to two things. I said, it's sort of like taking 40 days and instead of picking up the kettle corn, we're picking up the kettle Kettle ball, right. So it's sort of trading this sort of thing for exercise in order for us to become more aware of God's presence in our lives. Now, as we entered into Lent, I encouraged everybody, like, hey, try it. Like, try it. Let's engage together in this spiritual practice of fasting. And some of you may have chosen to fast something like a type of food for the 40 days before Easter. Some of you said, hey, I'm going to do like a meal once a week. Others um, said, hey, I'm going to fast from like a technology thing or fasting from staying up late uh, or something else. It was a great idea. And, uh, and I... Uh, know that some of you like are like, no, I haven't done anything yet. Or I chose something at the beginning, but then I quit three days in. All of those things are valid. <laughs> and I'm just going to encourage you, no matter where you are in that journey, to try it. Try it. We still have about three weeks until Easter. And this could be a great opportunity for you to practice this whole thing of being more aware of God's presence in your life. Now, from the beginning of this journey, I sort of encouraged you. I said, hey, listen, this seems like a really simple thing. Like, oh, I'm going to give up chocolate or I'm going to go over whatever. And the reality is I warned you from the beginning that at some point along the way, there would sort of be this voice that popped into your head and said, why are you even doing this? Like, what's the point of this? Is this really necessary? Like, if your salvation with God is secure, like, and none of this change anything, then, then why, why does this even matter? It doesn't matter if you fast or not. It doesn't matter if you submit to this. This isn't really changing things. So let's just indulge. Let's just give in. And I shared last week how, like, that has been my almost daily thing. That whenever I come up to the thing that I am fasting from, it is like, Oh yeah, it doesn't really matter. I'll just, I'll just do that. I'll just take that. That'll be fine. And, and I imagine that for some of you, that has been your experience too. So here's what I'm going to do just real quick. If you are fasting from something, uh, you don't have to share what it is, um, but some, if some version of that, oh, this doesn't really matter, has popped into your head at some point during your journey to do this, can you just like s slip your hand up in the air? 
just so that I know that I'm not alone. Great, great, great. Now put your hands down. We'll do it real quick. Um, and the thing is, is that this voice doesn't just come when we're fasting, right? Like I'm trying to normalize this whole thing for everybody, right? It doesn't just come when we're fasting. Really, it pops into our head whenever we have sensed that God has like sort of led us into some new decision. When God has sort of asked something of us, he said, hey, give up that relationship or follow him in some way that God says, hey, it's time to give up that addiction. Or God says, it's time to grow in a new way. Or God says, it's time to change that behavior. It's time to end that relationship. That whenever God sort of says that to us, oftentimes we hear a very also logical voice that says, nah, it doesn't really matter. Eh, it doesn't really change the status of anything. So like, God still's going to love me, right? So if that's ever happened, where you've tried to like, change your direction or change a behavior and you've had that voice in your life can you just like slip up your hand really quickly okay yeah okay so then at this point most of us would say like yes this has been an experience that you've had and i want you to know like you are not alone if you looked around while we all really really struggle with this you are 100 percent human like i just need you to know that because it doesn't just happen to us, it actually happened to Jesus as well. And so I want to tell you about this story. I want to tell you about this experience that's found in Matthew chapter 4. Now, if you have uh, a Bible or you want to pull it up on your phone, you can go ahead and do that. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 this morning. And that first part in Matthew chapter 4, it starts this way. Matthew tells us this, that then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, to be tempted by the devil. Oh, you can't see. Hold on. Here you go. Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, right? Or by the enemy, some versions say that. It sounds really magical, that whole, like, first part, Jesus was led by the Spirit. And honestly, like, when I was reading this passage, I kept thinking of this, like, cartoon, and it took me a while to figure out which cartoon it was, but um, let me see if you can get it. It's one character that hypnotizes another character and is like, come follow me. Do you know which this is? I had to Google it. No? Okay. So, the Jungle Book, when Kong the Snake tries to hypnotize Mowgli and is like, come follow me, right? And he like makes his snake tail into a staircase and Mowgli's like, yeah, right? Like I always, like that's what I see when I read this, that the spirit, that the Holy Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, right? And so I think like, oh, well, the Holy Spirit doesn't lead me like that, right? And then when I demystify it a little bit, I realized that the Holy Spirit actually leads all of us in all sorts of ways. It's that initial voice that says, hey, take a break for a while from social media. Hey, maybe give up chocolate for a couple weeks. Hey, maybe focus on eating healthily. Hey, maybe that relationship needs to end. Hey, maybe you need to address that addiction. Maybe there's something in your life that isn't the way that it's supposed to be. And I'm calling you to shift your action, your behavior, your attitude. Now, that doesn't feel like a snake hypnotizing you to walk into a trap, right? But, but and it doesn't feel like the Holy Spirit is leading you into the desert, but I want you to change your mind about that. That that is exactly what the Holy Spirit is doing when you have that sort of conviction. That the Holy Spirit is saying, like, hey, follow me into 
the desert. Follow me into the wilderness. That's exactly what's happening. Now, there's this symbolism that's implicit in that whole idea of being led into the desert by the Holy Spirit because there's another time in the Bible where God leads his people into the desert, right? They're enslaved in Egypt. And God sort of says, hey, come follow me. And he takes them into the desert, and while they're there, the people all of a sudden realize, wait, you said you were going to set us free, but we didn't know that we were going to be in the desert. Like, we've got to get out of here. There's this 40-year period where the Israelites leave the slavery of Egypt, but then have to wander around in this uncomfortable space that is the desert before they get to the promised land. And the entire time, what they keep asking themselves is, should we go back to Egypt? Should we go back to slavery, or should we continue to follow the Holy Spirit into the desert? Because what happens in the desert, for not just Jesus, but for all of us, is the enemy shows up and begins to feed us lies. That as we get hungry, he begins to peddle us these lies, and that's exactly what happened to Jesus. If we continue in chapter 4, what Matthew tells us is that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he, Jesus, was hungry. Who wouldn't be? Jesus was hungry. And the tempter came to him. The tempter came to him. Now, when we're in our deserts, when God has led us to this new place, the reality is, is we all get hungry. Even if it wasn't an actual food fast thing that we've been called to follow through on, we get hungry. We get hungry to go back to the way things were. We get hungry to engage in whatever that behavior was. And then the lies start to come in. And they come in in such a real and personal way that it seems like logic, it seems like your own logic of, like, of, of course we shouldn't be here. Of course we shouldn't doing this. We shouldn't be doing this. And listen to how this logical enemy voice comes to Jesus. And as we read these next um, eight verses, what I want you to do is I want you to listen for the repeated phrase. Listen for the repeated phrase. Okay, here we go. We're going to read it. And the enemy came and said, If you are the Son of God... Tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took, to him, took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. All right, go ahead, turn to the person next to you, and if you got the secret phrase, if you got the repeated phrase, there are actually two of them, share it with the person next to you. Go. Okay, who thinks you got it? 
All right, Janine, what's one of the secret phrases? The secret phrases, the repeated phrases. Son of God. Son of God. If you are the Son of God. Okay, what's the other one? It is written, right. So if you are the Son of God and it is written, and we're going to look at both of those phrases because they're really, really important. Now, the reason why the enemy uses this very specific phrase, it's not just like, oh, he's the son of God. It's really, really, there's a, there's, there's, a, there's a really important reason why he uses this phrase at this particular time in chapter 4. It's a really logical reason that he's using of why Jesus should not be walking through the desert fasting, why Jesus should not be hungry. And what you have to do is you have to look back at chapter 3. So if you're in your Bibles, go to chapter 3. If you are the last couple verses, or if you are looking on your phone, press that little button that takes you back, right? When we look at the end of chapter 3, tell your neighbor, if you have a Bible, tell your neighbor what the heading of the last section of chapter 3 is about. Okay, what was it about? The baptism of Jesus. Man, I got some strong, right? It's the baptism of Jesus, right? Jesus goes to John the Baptist and says, hey, baptize me. And John's like, I can't baptize you. I shouldn't even be holding your feet, like holding your sandals. And Jesus is like, no, 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 we have to do this. And so John takes Jesus down into the water. He baptizes them. And then it says this in verse 16. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he got up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And I have no idea what that actually looks like. But then a voice comes down from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. And in him I am well pleased. Right? So Jesus has this amazing, miraculous experience in front of all these people where a voice from heaven comes down and says, this is the Son of God. And then he is led into the desert, into the wilderness, where he is hungry, and the enemy comes, and the very thing he challenges is the very thing that was just spoken over Jesus. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God, then stop the hunger and the pain that you're in. If you are the Son of God, then take control of the situation. Don't you have power over spiritual forces? You should have some say in how all of this goes. If you are the Son of God, you should be doing something that will make you famous, that will move you to the seat of power and position. Now, perhaps you've heard a very similar experience and a a similar voice when you've walked through the desert of fasting. If you are already a child of God, then why do you have to do this? If you are already a part of his kingdom, then shouldn't you have a say in how all this goes down? If you are already a lover and follower of God, if he really loves you, then wouldn't God want you in a position where you get the thing that you want, where you have the power and you have the authority and you have the job and you have the fame? Like, shouldn't you already be in that space? And this is why Jesus has to use that second repeated phrase over and over and over again. It is written. It is written. Because all of those things that the enemy has spoken sound right. 
They sound really logical. They sound like the correct thing. And so Jesus has to go again and again to combat that, to combat these lies and restate what it really means to be the son of God and to state the greater truth of what he knows about God. God is the provider and sustainer of life. God's wisdom and purposes are greater than mine. God alone sits at the seat of power. See, we've all had these experiences where it's been really easy to believe the truth about who God says we are in the miraculous moments that are by the waters. But the real test is can we believe those things when we're hungry and when we're in the middle of the wilderness? Can we believe those things when we're in the desert and it feels like it doesn't really matter? See, here's one thing that I was thinking of when I was, when I was engaging this passage this week is that hunger and deserts come in a lot of different ways. Sometimes we enter into hunger and deserts because of the circumstances and the situations that we're in. That there are these life events that we can't control. They, they actually come to us. <laughs> like, all of a sudden, the oasis we're in the middle of, like, has just melted away and everything's died. And you're like, wait, I didn't move and now I'm in a desert. How did this happen? Like, it's real and it's situational and you cannot get out of it. You can't control it. You have no option to stay in that desert until the desert's ready to release you, Right? But there are other times that our hunger and our desert is simulated. There are other times where we have been led to them, where we have willingly taken them on, like when we choose to fast during Lent. When we choose to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a different choice here. I'm going to do something different. And the thing about those sorts of deserts and that sort of hunger is we can tap out whenever we want. We can just be like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. It exists a little bit like a training module. Now, uh, anybody in the military before or currently? Okay, so we just have James and Nathan. Great. Okay, good. You guys, they know this. Should I have you guys come up and talk about it? No, no, I won't do that. I won't do that. Okay, so when you are... In the military, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have to go to boot camp. And my understanding is boot camp is like the most horrendous thing in the world. Yes, I'm right. So far, two points for Beth. Most horrendous thing in the world, boot camp, right? Um, and the reason they take you through boot camp is because they want you to learn how to suffer and obey when it doesn't really matter so that when it does really matter, you know how to suffer and obey. They don't say obey. It's not like soldiers obey me. What do they say? It is? It's obey me? Okay, good. They use obedience language there too. Great. I have not been to boot camp. I know that shocks you. <laughs> Haven't been to boot camp. All right? Here's the thing about boot camp. You technically can tap out at any time. They make it really hard. You will get dishonorably discharged, right? Correct. There are huge consequences to tapping out. But here's what they don't do. They don't say, like, if you tap out from boot camp, they then don't say, that's okay, you didn't make it through boot camp. We'll put you in the real deal. That's fine. No, they don't do that. If you tap out from boot camp, if you don't make it in the simulation practice, if you don't make it through the training, 
you don't get signed up for the real thing, right? But here's the other piece. Sometimes the real thing comes to you. And in actuality, for all of us, when we're talking about spiritual battles, the spiritual battle will always come to us. And then it becomes a question, have you prepared yourself in boot camp? Have you prepared yourself in practicing these spiritual disciplines? Have you prepared yourself in listening to the truths even when you're in the middle of the desert so that you're ready when the real battle comes? Now, here's me, and I bet you, we don't like to practice. We don't like simulations. We love when God speaks truth to us by still waters. And we don't like to follow into the desert to practice what we've learned, to test if we really understand those truths that we are children of God. We sometimes are just like, man, I'll just wait for the for the real thing, and then I'll wing it, right? Um, the reality is, is if we do that, we have a pretty high chance of failing. As modern Christians, or postmodern Christians, or whatever decade we're in, uh, we're pretty frail Christians. Like, I look at the early church, and I see them, like, submitting to go to the gladiators, to be eaten alive by lions. They were as hard as nails, and we are as frail as potato chips. I can't think of anything else. We are frail. And God wants to make us tough. God wants to teach us what his truths mean in the middle of the desert so that we can withstand them when it comes to the spiritual battles. And so the same reason that it's necessary for Jesus to go into, or us to go into the desert, it's the same reason why it was necessary for Jesus to follow the Holy Spirit in the desert. Because while the desert might be a simulation, there are real battles and real spiritual wars that Jesus was going to need to fight that could not have been skipped over. There was a real hunger that was going to happen, and the stakes were high. If you have your Bibles out, skip forward to Matthew 27. Or if you're looking on your app, you can skip ahead to there. Matthew 27. In Matthew 27, we get this picture of Jesus being led to the cross. Right? And as we read Matthew 27, verse 38 and on, I want you to see if you notice a really familiar phrase. All right? Matthew 27, 38. Two rebels were crucified with Jesus one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who, are going to, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourselves, they're talking to Jesus. Come down from the cross if you are the Son of God. In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said. But he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel? Let him come down from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. There's the spiritual battle right there. Jesus is hanging on the cross. People are hurling insults at him and saying, well, if you are the son of God then stop the pain that you're in. 
If you are the son of God, then take control of this situation and get down off the cross. If you are the son of God, then you should be doing something to make you famous. So move to the seat of power. Rebuild the temple. Get off the cross. And then the voice that we heard in the simulation simulation is the same voice that shows up in the real deal. And if we can't combat that voice with truth in the simulation, then we're ill-prepared to engage with it in the real circumstances at life. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus didn't struggle on the cross, because if you remember right after this whole thing, as people are hurling insults and saying, if you are the Son of God, then do something about it, Jesus actually cries out to God. In the middle of that moment of pain and suffering and death, Jesus actually, in a very human way, says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's essentially saying, am I still your son? Right? So the purpose of the training isn't so that we will not falter at all. It's not so we'll, like, perfect 10, hit the landing, right? It's not that. But it's so we're better at combating truth. Even Jesus says, where are you? Am I still your son? Why have you forsaken me? And at the end of the chapter, we see that Jesus takes his last breath. And there's this earthquake. And the temple, the curtain in the temple is torn to two, signifying that God's presence has left the Holy of Holy and is now out on the loose for people to experience everywhere. And in verse 54, there's a centurion that says this, surely he was the son of God. Surely he was the son of God. There's this confirmation that what was spoken as true during the quiet spiritual waters, during the high of, high of his baptism, was also true in the desert and it was also true at the cross when he was experiencing the height of his pain and his suffering. Now, I'm not sure where you all are. I don't know whether you would define this time that you're walking through as like, I am by the still and quiet waters. Like God is speaking truth to me and he is confirming that I am his son and there are pleasant places that I am dwelling in. Or maybe you are finding yourself in the middle of the desert saying, yeah, I, I knew that was true over there, but I'm in the simulation process of Lent or something else. And you're wondering, why does this even matter? Why is this even important? Or some of you may, it's not a simulation. It's real. This is real life and you're in the desert and there's no choices to get out of it. And God is trying, and the, and the enemy is trying to deceive you and is trying to say, well, if you really are God's child, then maybe you shouldn't be experiencing this pain. That you, if you really are God's child, then, then maybe you should actually be in a better position and have a better job or a different family situation than you're actually in the middle of. And my prayer for you is that you would dig deep into the truths about who God is, that you would dig into the word and into scripture so that you can combat that very logical voice and say, no, 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 it is written. I'm a child of God, and God loves me, and God has purposes for me, and God is planning me a hope and a future. I'm praying that as the Spirit leads you in these places, 
that you would follow Jesus into a season of participating with him, in, in practicing, experiencing his presence, in learning scripture so that as these things, as that enemy voice arises, that you will have truth to say. It may feel like in the moment, like it doesn't matter, but the reality is, is that God has something to teach you as you walk through the desert. And so, like, don't duck out early. Like, let's continue to journey together in this process to experience the presence of God. Let's pray together. Father God, I am so grateful. I'm so grateful that you give us this example of Jesus. And I'm so grateful that it's not just his example, but actually his work on the cross that changes everything for us. That it's because of what Jesus did on the cross that we can um, be fully known, that we can be fully reassured that we are your children and you are our Heavenly Father. And so, Father God, in those spaces where we're having all of those doubts, where there's this very logical enemy voice that's saying, hey, this doesn't really matter, or this isn't really true. Father God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would come and battle for us. That you would speak truth into our lives. Father, I also ask that other people would come around us and help us in this journey. That we wouldn't be doing this alone. Ultimately, above all things, it's not about us accomplishing something. It's about us learning to experience your presence. And so we ask that you would be present with us so that you might bring us life and joy. Father God, we pray all of these things in your holy and precious name. Amen. Uh, we're going to sing one more song together, and I'm just going to invite you to sing this song as... Um, an act of worship as a prayer to God. For some of you, you're like, no, I need you to confirm the truth about me. The things that you've spoken about me in the past, I need those to be true here. And for some of you, you're like, hey, I'm going through this really hard time, God, and I, and I, need, um, I, I need you with me so that I can take this seriously, so that I don't tap out too early and lie to myself that this doesn't matter. God has something amazing for you. And he needs you to trust him as you walk through this wilderness. Let's sing together.